series that we're starting today is based on this passage from Galatians and a second one from Colossians chapter 3. Uh, today we're going to get an intro to this passage from Galatians 5 and 6 and next week we'll do the same with Colossians 3. And then in the weeks after that we will focus in on the lists Paul gives us in each of these two passages. And this is why we're looking at these two passages together. They're not, they not only have the same author, but they're talking about the same thing, uh, just slightly differently. They're talking about discipleship. They're talking about following Jesus. They're talking about what we can expect in the Christian life, and importantly, how we can live it. Uh, namely, by walking by the Spirit, which is where our title comes from. And I want to give you uh, a couple of examples, a few examples of the overlap between these two passages, because they're not just two random passages that I've pulled out. They have a lot in common. As I mentioned, they have the same author, the Apostle Paul. But as we heard in our passage today from Acts 5, um, Paul contrasts the acts of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. Well, likewise, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul contrasts the things from above, sorry, the things from below, earthly things, with the things from above, heavenly or spirit-led things. Very similar, aren't they? And in our passage today, we heard quite the list of the acts of the flesh, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, and so on. Well, likewise, in Colossians 3, when Paul is listing the earthly things, earthly actions, things that are not of God, we hear sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and so on. Again, a lot of similarity between the two lists. And then there are the much-loved fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. But in Colossians 3, we find a very similar list of the things from above. Compassion, kindness, humility, and it ends with love. Again, very, very similar. And so in Galatians, uh, Paul has this overarching call for us to walk by the Spirit instead of by the flesh. And in Con uh, Colossians, Paul has an overarching call for us to clothe ourselves in the new self instead of living in our old earthly selves. And it's actually Colossians 3, which our Kids Rock Kids will be looking at over this coming term. These passages are talking about the same thing, and I hope it will be helpful for us to hold them together and to have them paint a fuller picture for us. Well, let's get into it. And in our Galatians passage, I have four main points I want us to look at today. Firstly, I want us to focus in on what Christian freedom is and isn't. That we have been saved not to be selfish, but to live selflessly, to serve selflessly. Secondly, I want us to see that conflict within ourselves, conflict over right and wrong, which is spiritual conflict, is expected in our lives. It is expected, it is necessary, and it is good, uh, which is strangely comforting. Thirdly, I want us to hear Paul's call to us that the new life we have been given by Jesus must lead to new living. It must lead to spirit-led living. But are we? 
are we living this life out? And lastly, I want to end with a warning or an encouragement, because it's going to be one of those two. We in all our lives are sowing. We're sowing to something. And Paul tells us we will reap at some stage to whatever we are sowing. If we are sowing to our flesh, sowing to our earthly selves, then we will reap destruction. But if we are sowing to the Spirit, if we are sowing to God, then we will reap quite a harvest. We will reap something, but what is it? Well, let's get into it. And our first point comes to us from verses 13 to 15, where we read, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, Paul has in his letter to the Galatians been focusing on the problem of legalism up until now. The first four chapters of Galatians, uh, Paul has been speaking to people who want to add laws to Jesus to earn God's acceptance. Uh, specifically, they wanted to add circumcision as a requirement for entry to God's family. Now, this is a common temptation still today. I'm not saying uh, circumcision is a common temptation. I don't think that's true. But the temptation to add something to Jesus, to put our faith maybe in him as well as something else, something that we can do, that is a temptation still we like to be able to trust ourselves because if we can trust ourselves, if we have something that we can put before God, then we have something to boast in. But Paul is very blunt in Galatians. The law does not save us. It only condemns us. And if we break it at all, we've broken it totally. And this is where all of us are. All of us are in need of a saviour. None of us are able to fulfill God's law. We need someone else to fulfill it for us. Someone who will take our punishment and credit us his righteousness. Yes, indeed, we can add nothing to Jesus. And we have to hold on to this. But the flip side or the other extreme of legalism is license. That you have the license to do whatever you want. Jesus becomes a bit like a get-out-of-jail-free card for us. And this is what Paul turns to now at the end of Galatians, Galatians 5 and 6 that we heard today. Yes, Paul tells us, Jesus has freed us. He has done it. He has called us out of slavery, out of a life of slavery to sin and to freedom as God's children. And it's all a gift. But Christian freedom, this gift of adoption to God's family, it is not a license to do whatever we want. It's not a license to indulge our flesh, as Paul tells us in verse 13. Not at all. Our freedom in Jesus is instead that we can now live as we were meant to live. And how are we meant to live? Well, Paul gives us a surprisingly concise answer, at least for Paul, who can often take a long time to say anything. He tells us that we are called to serve one another humbly in love, or to put it another way, to love our neighbour as ourselves. And this is why we have it in our mission statement here at St Andrews. 
that as part of being disciples of Jesus, we are called to love others. Love others. Two small words, but they encapsulate what Jesus has done for us, that he has served us, humbly served us, and they encapsulate what we are called to do as his disciples, as Christians. They sum up our lives, that we are saved as Christians to be characteristically, habitually, normally, outward-looking and loving people. And if we don't do this, if we don't learn to love our neighbour as ourselves, we will inevitably end up competing against each other, competing against our neighbour. And Paul describes it in verse 15 that we will end up biting and devouring each other. And this brings some important questions for us to answer. In our minds, in our lives, what does freedom look like? What does freedom look like? Is freedom something we have or something we are still aspiring for? For us, does freedom look like financial freedom? Does it look like the ability to buy whatever we want? For us, does freedom look like the ability to go where we want? We're probably all feeling this a bit currently as we have to isolate and stay at home. Or does freedom look like the ability to choose for ourselves, to choose what we want. Now, these are not necessarily bad things, but Christian freedom is more than all of these things. Christian freedom is actually not dependent on any of these things. And Jesus is our model here. In one sense, Jesus had no earthly wealth, but at the same time, we realize he gave up all of heaven's wealth to come down and serve us and indeed give his life for us. In one sense, Jesus had a freedom of movement on earth, but let's not remember that again, he was sent from heaven to earth and to the cross and to the grave. Now that wasn't self-serving, that was him serving us. And likewise, Jesus had the ability to choose in his life, but his choice was to obey God and indeed to lay down his life for us and how thankful we are. Yes, Jesus is our saviour, and he is our model for what our lives are meant to look like, for what Christian freedom looks like. Now, Jesus, quite rightly, um, is a big model. He's a big example for us, and we must always keep him first. But there are other models, other examples for us as well. Acts 9 gives us a small example. In Acts 9, we hear of a Christian lady called Tabitha. She had died and Peter, the apostle, went to visit her. And when he turned up, the widows of that town, that village, came to him, crying over Tabitha's death and bringing him, showing him the clothes she had made for them. Tabitha served others. She was an example of Christian freedom, an example of what being a disciple of Christ is like. And we have to ask ourselves, how do we measure up? What is the freedom or what does freedom look like in our minds and in our hearts? Is it something we are still waiting for or is it something that we recognize Christ has already given us? That he has set us free to be children of God. And whether we are a child with limited resources, an adult 
in whatever situation, if we are a child of God, we are free and in a position to reflect him, in a position to live that freedom out and to make him known. But are we? Or are we indulging our flesh? And this brings us to our second point, that spiritual conflict in our lives is to be expected, it is necessary, and it is good. And this comes from verses 16 to 18, where our title for this series is found as well. Uh, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And I always find this passage, this section, uh, very comforting for me, and I hope it is for you. Paul is warning us here that every Christian life will always involve conflict. Always. Whether we live in a peaceful country like Sweden or New Zealand or somewhere where gunshots sound in the distance, it doesn't matter. Our experience as Christians is that we have a battle going on between us. And it's a very real battle. This is a battle between our flesh, our earthly nature, which desires that we sin, and between God's spirit, which desires us to be holy and righteous, to be like Jesus. These are two opposing forces. And this means as Christians, we should have an expectation of conflicting desires within us. And I think I find this comforting because for a long time, I thought conflicting desires meant failure. I wondered if it meant I wasn't a child of God, but the opposite is actually true. Conflict points to our adoption. Conflict points to the spirit in us. If there is no conflict within us, then you have to ask the question, are you a child of God? Because we all have sinful natures, all of us. But not all of us are children of God. Not all of us have the spirit in us. Yes, this conflict within us should be expected. And this conflict is also necessary, as Paul tells us in verse 17, so that you will not do whatever you want. This means we all have very real desires. We, we could even call them natural desires, desire that, that we have known from our birth. But that doesn't mean they're right or good or that we should obey them. We all have desires within us as Christians that do not belong. Again, this conflict within us is expected. It is the common experience of every Christian everywhere, but it's also necessary. This conflict points to the Holy Spirit fighting for us, calling us to, to be who we were redeemed to be, calling us to say no to sin and yes to holiness. And we need help to do this. We do. We need someone on our side cheering us on, pushing us on, opening our eyes to the deception of our flesh. And our flesh is deceptive. It is. It whispers in our minds and hearts 
that sin is actually what we want. That the sin, whatever it is, will fulfill us, will complete us, will make us happy. That this sin is, is not as bad as other people's sins. And no one will be hurt by it. We all hear these whispers in our lives. We all have them. And we need help. And God knows we do. And he's given it. He's given us his spirit. But do we know it? And are we making the most of it? Yes, it is necessary that we have this conflict within us. Because we need someone's help to fight this battle. And this brings us to the fact that this conflict is good as well. It is good. This conflict is God working in us through his spirit as a loving father does a child to refine us and to raise us into the children he desires, children he delights in. God is not content to wait for heaven where his work will be finished. That will happen. But he has given us his son to make us his children, and he has given us his spirit to start the work now. He wants us to walk with him in his ways. Yes, spiritual conflict, we should expect it. We should know that it is necessary. We need the spirit in our lives, and we should know that it is good, that God is at work in us for his glory and our good. Now, it is at this stage in our passage that Paul lists the acts of the flesh and then the fruit of the Spirit. And at the end of these two lists, he calls us to the fact that our new life must lead to new living. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now Paul says here that those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, which seems a little odd given the fact he has just talked to us about the reality of the ongoing conflict within us between our flesh and the Spirit. So what's going on here? Has he already forgotten what he said just a few verses earlier? And I don't think he has. And I think we should give Paul that respect. So what, is, what does he mean here when he says that we have crucified our flesh with its passions and desires? Well, Paul here is referring to the fact that if we have put our faith in Jesus as the sacrifice for our sins, that he has, in a very real way, died on the cross for our sin, then we have crucified our sin. We've crucified our sin in him. In Jesus, we recognize by faith that he has died for our sin. So we have died for our sin. And now, if we've done this sincerely, if we've sincerely put our faith in Jesus for our sin, that means we have died to it. As surely as he has died to it, so have we. And this is what Paul says in Romans 6 verses 10 and 11. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
And I've got to say the rest of Romans 6 is well worth reading about this conflict we experience within ourselves. The point is that by faith in Jesus, we have died to sin and received a new life. And so the starting point is that we consider ourselves dead to sin. The starting point is that we remember, we look to Jesus's death, that because he has died for our sin, so we have died to our sin. Yes, we still have sinful desires, we do, but that is not our life. He has died for them, and so have we. And I press this point here, because I think too often we forget that we have died to sin. Sin seems all too real to us, and we need to look to Christ. We need to look to his cross again, that that is our starting place. But it's not the end. Because he rose... We have a new life, a life given to us by the Spirit of God. The Spirit actually has been there from the start. The Spirit has birthed in us this belief, this faith in Jesus. That's what it means to be born again. And now we are called to keep in step with the Spirit in this new life. Just as Jesus has died, so we've died to our sin. Just as Jesus has risen, we are called to this newness of life in him. A newness of life that started in the Spirit as we came to faith, but a newness of life that now carries on in the Spirit. We are called to live in union or in step with the Spirit. But what does keeping in step with the Spirit mean? What what does it look like to be in step with the Spirit? And you can probably guess it. It means bearing fruit that reflects God's character. It means becoming more and more an image bearer of Christ. And this is the new life every Christian is given and called to. And a quick test about this new life that Paul gave the Galatians, and which works for us as well, is are we conceited? Are we conceited? That is proud or vain. Are we thinking of ourselves above others or just thinking of ourselves too much? Because the fruit of that is that we will inevitably start aggravating each other and resenting each other. That will mean we're not walking in step with the Spirit. Yes, our new life must lead to new living. It starts by considering ourselves dead to sin so that we will see that our new life is a life in step with the Spirit. But are we doing this? Are we walking in step with the Spirit? And this brings us to our last point, which comes a few verses later in Galatians 6, that we will reap what we sow. This is both a warning and an encouragement. And it's found in Galatians 6 verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, let's not forget that Paul is speaking to a church, he's speaking to Christians, and he reminds them that God cannot be mocked. 
we can't pull the wool over God's eyes. We can't play him and call ourselves his children and then live like the devil. He sees how we are living. He sees the fruit of our lives. The only people we will be playing in that situation is ourselves. If we are sowing to the flesh, whatever we call ourselves or however big the Bible is that we carry, we will reap destruction. And what a sobering warning that is. But the whole way through this passage, Paul has been contrasting two ways of living. And so it's only right that here at the end, he finishes with this contrast as well. But as sobering as it is, there is a rich promise here for us as well. For if we sow to the Spirit, if we keep in step with the Spirit, then we will reap a harvest as well. It might feel like this harvest is a long time coming, but it is coming. And while we wait for it and continue walking with the Spirit, it mightn't look like much of an investment to the world, to the, to the world, to those with earthly eyes. It mightn't look like we are gaining much. It might look like we're not very good with our money because we don't pursue. We don't make it our highest goal or because we keep giving it away. It might look like the, to the world that we're not very good with our friends because we keep hanging out with those less fortunate than us or those who are so unlike us. And it might look like we are less significant in the eyes of the world because we don't value what they value. Because we are quiet and gentle in this world. But God sees. He sees his children. And Paul's encouragement to us is that our sowing our work, our doing good to all, but especially to other believers, is not lost. It is not lost at all. It is treasured, and what a harvest we will reap. Well, brothers and sisters, we've raced through this passage to get the lay of it, and I wonder what has struck with you today. I wonder what the Spirit has been saying to you today. Is it about your idea of freedom? Your idea of what freedom as a Christian looks like, what you are saved for? That it is not about self-indulgence, but instead about the freedom to fulfill God's design for you, a design that is marked by love for others. How are you measuring up? Or is it about spiritual conflict? That the conflict, the battle you experience within you is not saying that you aren't a child of God, but just the opposite. That the Spirit is fighting, is calling for you. But are you answering? Are you listening to the Spirit and fighting as well? Or is it that there's no real conflict within you? Maybe this was news to you today. And that would be of most concern. That would be the biggest red flag of all. Because that means you're not a child of God at all. But perhaps there is an inkling within you today. Perhaps there is a small nudge within you. And you can't ignore it. It's there. A restlessness that says all the running and pursuing thus far in your life hasn't satisfied. But does this God really care for you? Well, he does. He really does. So much so that he would give his son to die in your place, that whatever your sin, whatever you have done, 
he will clear it away that you can be his that you can belong to him and have a place with him and that can start today that can be a reality today if you will trust him and indeed call out to him for all your wrongs and indeed start walking with him is that he will indeed give you his spirit and while there will be conflict along the way and there will be cause for much growth it will mean that you are his and you belong to him and have a future with him as well don't pass it by don't miss it out friend or perhaps today you're aware that there is a sin in you that you need to consider yourself dead to perhaps this is the, this is the starting place for all christians in one sense that our flesh and its desires don't own us we belong to another and this can be a hard mindset to change but it starts by us recognizing that as surely as jesus was buried in a grave so we are dead to our sin we have died to it perhaps for others of us we need to check our walk with the spirit we've been walking a while as a christian but maybe it's time for a, a bit of a spiritual warren of fitness how are we doing are we keeping in step with the spirit is there is there something it is pointing to in our lives is our new life leading to new living are we listening and obeying the spirit's leading in us is there something to cut off or something that needs to be grown more of you'll know the spirit will be pointing it out to you and lastly perhaps it's that what we're sowing to do we know what we are investing in now what our lives are leading to because we are sowing to something we are with our words and actions we are sowing to something and there will be a harvest but what will it be are we sowing to our flesh and to earthly things because if we are those will be destroyed destruction is our end and that's a sobering warning but it's a warning we need to hear at times or are we sowing to our savior are we walking by the spirit and sowing fruit which reflects who we have been redeemed to be if so then let us not grow weary and we do grow weary at times but let's lift our tired hands and feet and keep going because soon enough it will be harvest time and what a harvest it will be when we will see our savior when we will see our lord and we will be with him let's pray together oh holy spirit while we are apart we know that you are with us and i pray that as we have heard the words that you gave to the apostle paul that whatever part of it was for us today whatever you were speaking to us today will remain with us and we won't be able to ignore it but that you will make us restless until we listen and obey until we respond so help us to hold on to what we have heard what we have learned today and change us that we might walk with you and we might grow more and more in the image of our savior we pray this for his glory and for our good. Amen.